Welcome to the Chip Warriors podcast, celebrating America's semiconductor pioneers. Their stories, their voices. The technology they invented in the second half of the 20th century has given the United States a secret weapon in the Cold War of the 21st century. In episode 4, The Dealmakers, find out why Cobalt was broken up, hear the inside story on the KLA 10 core merger, and learn about two big deals that almost happened. In the semiconductor capital equipment industry, the big get bigger. Smaller companies, lacking the capital to survive, become targets for acquisition. In some cases, two large companies merge to compete with even bigger rivals. Cobalt was a pioneering California equipment startup bought by Computer Vision. Sam Harrell, Cobalt's general manager at the time, explains why the company was broken up and the pieces sold off. Cobalt's job was to be a cash cow for the CAD-CAM business. CAD-CAM business was growing at a very high rate. And then a decision was made to, to uh, turn Cobalt into cash. The reason was that there was a, um, a set of rumors that, that uh, some large companies wanted to acquire computer vision. And whether it was smart or foolish, uh, the management decided they didn't want to be acquired. They wanted to stay independent, so they needed to build a giant cash hoard. So they set out uh, with directions to take Cobalt apart and sell the pieces. We had a bonder operation in uh, Hong Kong, which we sold. We sold the um, spin-bake equipment line and the prober line to Tokyo Electron, which became the heart of their equipment business. We sold the remaining parts to Applied Materials, so we disbanded it. The 1997 merger between KLA and Tincor was held as one of the most successful in the industry. But before that, a smaller deal and a personal tragedy unfolded. Prometric's CEO, Richard Elkis Jr., tells the story. Tencor had a division which competed directly with Prometrics in film thickness and metrology. But its real strength was in defect inspection. I got a call from Carl Urbanek, who had founded Tencor, indicating that he would like to have a secret meeting with me. He used the word secret, and, and I thought, boy, this is like um, a mystery story or something of that sort. And so we sat in this little table in this little restaurant in Los Altos, and we had our meeting. And what Carl told me was absolutely astounding to me. He said, it's time that we consider merging our two companies. And I asked him, why now? And he said, because I'll be dead in less than a year. Tincor had seven founding employees. Bill Willer was one of them. Carl Urbanek invited me out to lunch on the pretext that he remembered he owed me $10 that I had loaned him. Carl contacted a number of people and got agreements and made the deals for starting out. And in uh, November 22nd, 1976, we actually got together at, in a, a small office. We had uh, 744 square feet and we started in to develop a product. 
he had a distinct dislike for people coming in, uh, checking on how you're running your business and telling you what you, what you should be doing and all the rest of that. <laughs> so I'm not sure when the company would have gone public if Carl had lived. For a long time, Carl was, was going to beat it. You know, he was, uh, he went on uh, a strict diet and, and he was going to beat this cancer, but it didn't go that way. I have to tell you, I had never met a man braver than that in my life. Uh, I mean, he talked very rationally about how we should organize the two companies, um, how we should progress in the future in a very dispassionate way, even though that company was meant everything to him. When I left the meeting, I was. It took me quite a while to recover from it because I, I'd never have had faced anything like that before, and frankly, I'd never have faced anything quite like that again. We were not able to complete the deal because he died. They brought in John Tompkins, originally came from Varian. He took over Carl's place. Shortly thereafter, KLA through Ken Levy made an offer, which I believe was accepted. I watched how the negotiations seemed to be going between KLA and Tencor. For whatever reason, it was taking longer than one might expect to complete what I thought was a completed deal. I bumped into John Tompkins at a car wash in Los Altos, and I told him, you know, if you keep going on with this deal with KLA and it never gets resolved, you're not going to have a company, you're not going to have any people, you're not going to have a job. Carl and I had got something pretty close to being done. Why don't we try to do what we almost had done before? And why don't you go back and, and talk to your board and see if you, you don't want to stop one negotiation and start another? And that's exactly what John did. And we had a, basically a, an agreement in 30 days. Toward the summer of 1992, an approach was made by Ken Levy uh, about a merger, and due diligence was entered into uh, during the fall time and into the winter, and then suddenly it was called off, and we didn't understand at that point what had happened. Sometime later, I talked to Ken Levy, and I asked him what, what did happen. He said, uh, it was me. He said, I just got cold feet and backed out. KLA co-founder Ken Levy explains his motivation for the merger and how it finally came about. At KLA, we were studying the way the industry was moving, and we were looking uh, we were looking to see how we could broaden our product line. We had our eye not only on being an inspection company, but what we wanted to do was be, be the yield management company for the industry. And so to do that, you needed a lot of pieces. We were building these pieces at a pretty high rate at uh, KLA. And um, on the other hand, there was another company, uh, Tencor, that was founded by uh, Carl Urbanek. And of course, uh, Carl and I had uh, become pretty good friends because we were both on the semi-board together. And we both had lots of opportunities to chat. And we would talk about uh, maybe someday it would be worth putting these companies together. And then, unfortunately, uh, Carl passed away. And uh, the company uh, was headed by, by John Tompkins. Uh, we, we had early chats with him about, a, about merging the uh, two companies. It didn't quite work out. Tencor then bought Prometrics, which was a film thickness measuring company, and ultimately took uh, the Tencor company uh, 
in public. But we kept studying that that issue and said, gee, uh, still someday it would make sense. Our, our own internal engineers kept telling us, kept telling me, don't worry about it. We can develop all of those products. But of course, we were so busy doing what we had to do that we would never get to develop all the products that that Tencore had uh, developed. And besides, Tencore was very, very good at what they did. We were, we were good at one segment, at one set of technologies, uh, at image processing. They were very good at laser technologies. It was foolish to think that we could duplicate uh, what they had done. As you can imagine, there's always a matter of uh, price and management structure and lots of issues that, in addition to it being a good idea, that keep people from coming together. But but both John and I were, were committed to the fact that we wanted to have a large company and we wanted to really win in this marketplace. I think Ken Levy saw the same situation as I saw when I looked at Tencore at the time. Ken was looking at where the market was going, what was happening with competition, what was happening with the world, the, the, the amount of, of money and just sheer resources of almost any kind that it was taking to be in the business. And he decided he should have made the move the first time with Tencore. And frankly, he walked in with a very, very strong offer that was accepted almost immediately. We got four-ninths of the deal. KLA got five-ninths of the deal. I was really proud of all the management people involved because invariably, in a, in a merger, you know, people are, start, are worried about what will happen to their own careers. How will they, what will their job be? Are there other people who don't like them? They're very comfortable in their own environment. But we got by all of that. John and I had made a pact that said that we would do everything we could to make this thing work. So we were like the Bobsy twins. People would see us together all the time, eating, drinking together, walking the halls together. So there was no question between any of the employees of either companies, that the heads of these two companies were committed that this was going to work. And ultimately, I don't know of a better merger that has taken place in our industry or maybe in any industry. I think I, I'm really, of the things uh, that I'm proud of, that's one of the things I'm most proud of, that we were able to, that was a new set of skills we had to learn. You know, we, we both knew how to build companies. The question is, could you put two companies together and make them work? I think that this merger, you know, is, is an example of how, if you do things right, it can be good for everybody. You know, it was surely good for our customers because we have a better set of solutions for them. It was surely good for our investors uh, because uh, the investors, uh, the equity in our companies uh, has outperformed most of the other companies out there. And it was uh, surely good for most of the employees, the ones who were there. It was not great for, for a few of the employees because their jobs were eliminated. But when I then look back, those people whose jobs were eliminated, I, I look around our industry and they're in, they have great positions in other companies and are making great contributions. So, so I'm, I'm really pleased about that. And I think that that worked out very, very well. As well as the mega deals that changed the course of the industry, there were some that came close, but never made it. In 2012, Novellus Systems merged with LAM Research to take on Applied Materials. But more than 25 years earlier, Applied and Novellus almost ended up together. Brad Matson founded Novellus Systems in 1984, 
He explains how a failed merger led to one of Applied's biggest stars jumping ship to join a rival. Probably the biggest transition that occurred at that point in time was Applied Materials was interested in acquiring us. That was a very uh, complex uh, situation that occurred as Bob Graham, who was at Applied and had left, went into the venture capital field, was actually helping fund startups, some of them competitors to Novellus. And so I talked to Bob and I said, Bob, you really shouldn't be pushing some of these other technologies. Let me show you what we're developing here. It's really exciting. He saw it and was very excited about it and maybe would have even funded us, but at the same time was negotiating at Applied. He ended up going back into Applied around exactly the same time. And when he went back into Applied, he made it his mission for Applied to acquire Novellus. See, they were going to acquire us. Um, it was kind of his sweetheart deal. So you can see I was talking to him from the venture side about our next round of financing, but at the same time it became a merger discussion with Applied Materials. And in fact, I didn't want to get acquired. I had left Applied previously. I mean, it was, this was exciting. It looked like the technology worked. Our coming out party uh, was great. And I just wanted to move on. But he really just, Bob just wouldn't say no. So I finally uh, said, okay, fine. And kind of a way to kind of end the discussion with him, I said, okay, fine. Gave us $12 million and, and we'll do the deal. And I thought that would just kill it because we had just financed our, our valuation only eight months ago was $2 million. So he said, you're crazy. No one ever does that. You're out of your mind. I said, fine, good. That, that's fine. Just leave. <laughs> he left, but then he called within an hour or two the same day and said, okay, you get your $12 million. And then I was kind of caught. <laughs> But I still didn't actually want to get acquired, but how do you, you know, if you have shareholders, and you know, investors, and they can make six times their money in eight months, <laughs> as a responsible executive, you can't turn that down. So we tried to do that deal. It turned out that Dan Maiden, the same guy I was working with on the Etcher several years previously, had been appointed to uh, bring Applied up into the new age of CVD because the Etch had been successful, the CVD had fallen behind it applied, and so he had headed up a new CVD division. And this would be competitive with Dan, so there was ensued an internal struggle at applied between Bob and Dan, and uh, basically what happened is the merger didn't go through. Uh, applied decided to stay with their internal CVD program. Novellus became independent, but as a result of that, Bob Graham joined Novellus. <laughs> and he is a tough, tough t guy. And uh, I noticed he was extremely um, competitive. During the applied tenure, there were you know, kind of executive battles going on all the time. And, and I viewed it as somewhat political. So before, I wanted to bring him on because I was inexperienced. He was a grizzled veteran. He had the white hair, you know, the experience to take you public. And you know, every, he could do all the things we needed to do. Um, <clears throat> but I was a little bit afraid of him because of, he, had, he had that intensity. So I met with him, and I'd always been like a son to him. You know, he, I came up underneath him, and uh, I was worried about not being his son anymore, but being his competitor. And I said, can you focus? On, you're an incredibly competitive guy. We had lunch. I said, can you focus your competition, your competitive effort, at our competitors and not at me? <laughs> and he said, he, he was fairly honest. He, he, didn't, he didn't say, no, it's not a problem. He said, eh, I, I, I could do that. I think I'd do it. Um, but it was it was rocky. It was it was it was tough the whole whole time through, uh, and in the end, uh, it, it was something he was really not someone who could share power. As a result of the negotiation, whenever you enter into one uh, or enter into a contract 
to try to do a deal, a merger, you can't go out looking for money or you can't go other places. So I was, I could not, even though we were running out of money, we only had a million dollars to develop that you know, system. Um, we needed financing very badly. So when the deal was, well, fell through, I was in a panic mode. I had to, within three months, raise money. And previously, I took six months, had to talk to 50 people. It was horrible. <laughs> so I was really worried because it wasn't just me and one or two other people now. It was a whole team, the Dirty Dozen. And you worry about making payroll and their families and everything else. So I had to drop everything and uh, go raise money. Uh, turned out, though, I didn't have to be too concerned. Within those three months, we had three different firms willing to lead an investment of $5 million or more. So uh, apparently the coming out party I mentioned was six people could see that we had a winner. And also probably applied interest in us was a you know, good housekeeping seal of approval. And so I think uh, it wasn't very hard raising money. So I think that was, it was scary and it was difficult, but we got over it very quickly. It turned out to be okay. Applied Materials has acquired more than 20 companies over the years. At one point in the 1980s, it almost got acquired itself. The suitor was East Coast conglomerate GCA. Jim Gallagher, who co-founded GCA with Milt Greenberg, tells the story. A relationship developed between Jim Morgan and Milt Greenberg. And since I was going to the West Coast frequently, for seminar meetings, I would meet Jim, and I was kind of like a Jewish matchmaker, you could say, in that uh, I would be carrying messages back and forth. Jim and I never talked on the floor of a, usually I'd meet him in the parking lot or someplace else and pass the word on or something. Well, that, that relationship started to get pretty warm. To me, it was just a, an ideal relationship. Well, what happened? The general concept was to have Milt as chairman of the board. I think that was his idea. Jim as president. The problem was not with Jim. The problem as I saw it developing was Milt was not able to sit back as a chairman and have everything, operations and so on, run by Jim, which was Jim's concept of what the president should do. And Jim is no dumbhead. And he knew Milt, and he knew that Milt was very mercurial at times, bright, no question. Milt Greenberg was one of the brightest guys you ever saw. He could pierce through a lot of things. But he, he would get very contemptible about things sometimes. And that is not Jim Morgan's way of doing things, as I saw it. And although the concept was there, and I think they both appreciated what it meant, I think in pure and simple terms, it was that Milt wanted too much day-to-day nosing into the operations or having his say or, or having his henchmen located throughout the, 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 the forces. One of my greatest disappointments is that that never happened. 
Thank you for listening to The Chip Warriors, written and produced by Craig Addison, based on interviews he conducted between 2004 and 2008. These interviews were licensed from Semi, which is not affiliated with this podcast. Be sure to check out Episode 5, War Stories, how industry pioneers like Teradyne's Nick DeWolf overcame challenges and lived to fight another day. And please support this project by subscribing to the premium episodes.